I listen to the diaries because it sparks ideas for new adventures. Whether it is an episode about an epic adventure or a backyard micro-adventure, I start thinking about my next adventure. I'm inspired by the people and their stories to go a little farther and dig a little deeper. If you want to add more spark to your adventurous ideas, consider subscribing to the Diaries Plus today. I'm Crystal, a longtime listener from the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. Thanks to everyone who has subscribed to the Diaries Plus. It's been awesome, and you're powering the show as we move into the future. If you're interested in subscribing today, there's a link in the show notes. Please join. Now, on to the show. I sit in my kayak at the top of Colosseum, a rapid I've run a few hundred times. The river is swollen with the spring melt. It's big water, high-volume class 4 whitewater. But I know the line, and I know I can nail it. Four years ago, I would splash water on my face, check my skirt, and take some calm strokes towards the horizon line. Today, I swivel my boat and head for shore. As I lug my boat along the trail, I see my friends through the trees. They rocket over waves and catch surfs. I sigh and look away. No matter how many moments of overwhelming happiness I feel immersed in the sports I thought I would never get back, no matter how many years pass, it's still hard for me not to push my limits. I'm learning how to listen to that subconscious voice of caution. Where I used to feed on the feeling of adrenaline and risk, I now have to avoid risk completely. After a mild traumatic brain injury, it's simple. I'm not allowed to hit my head ever again. It was a normal night at the rafting company pub overlooking Canada's historic and mighty Ottawa River. I had just come off the water and cracked a beer when an overexcited friend came screaming towards me. Before I could stop her, I was slung over her shoulder, spinning towards the ground. The impact was like nothing I had experienced before. My head connected with a wooden deck pillar with a force that felt like a semi smashing into my cranium. Then she dropped me. Double impact. After that night, symptoms sprung up. Dizziness, sensitivity to light and sound, memory loss, confusion, and the most excruciating, crippling headaches. I went to the hospital twice. The scans, which can only detect a major hemorrhage, came back negative. If my brain was bleeding, they told me, I would be dead already. I didn't lose consciousness. It was just a concussion. Just a concussion? This diagnosis left me in the dark literally and figuratively. My symptoms continued to increase in severity. The headaches and vertigo got so bad, there was no way I could work as a raft guide or cook, clean, and care for my off-grid trailer near the river. I had to move home to my parents' house in Muskoka, a five-hour drive west of the Ottawa Valley. Five hours from my friends, the river, and my kayak. I spent the next three months in a homemade sensory isolation. My sensitivity to light grew so intense that exposure to artificial lights felt like needles in my eyes. Natural light was worse. The sharp, hot pain lights caused, along with the relentless vice grip headaches, left my eyelids permanently half-closed. Everyday noises tortured me. The sound of a vacuum, the TV even, became so overwhelming, I often wore earplugs around the house. What is happening to me? 
I asked myself again and again while I lay in bed unable to sleep, focused on the pain behind my eyes, a sensation like someone slowly twisting a screw into my skull. Some of my friends had trouble understanding. You look so good, they would say to me on occasional visits. And sure, aside from my lack of energy and half-closed eyes, I probably did look okay. We're having a barbecue for Todd's birthday. You should come. They had no idea that following one conversation was a struggle. A room full of people, an overwhelming nightmare. It was almost as if I could think, hear, and see in only one plane. Doctor's offices became my second home, and appointments my full-time job. While I waited nine months to get in to see a head trauma specialist covered by my Canadian provincial health insurance, my parents spent late nights researching treatments and making phone calls, trying to connect the disjointed dots to find out what was happening inside their daughter's skull. We tried every treatment possible, from vestibular therapy to physiotherapy, chiropractic treatment, massage therapy, and matrix repatterning. Treatments I didn't even know existed. Doctors told me I wouldn't whitewater kayak or mountain bike again. The risk of hitting my head was just too great. I refused to accept this information, dug my fingernails into the chair when they mentioned it. The season I got injured, I planned to join a multi-stage kayaking competition and break into competitive freestyle kayaking. During spring flood, I surfed the biggest waves on the Ottawa River. Before that, I competed in triathlons and high-level basketball. In university, I ran track and cross country. And then it was over. I longed for the simple life I had before. Kayak, raft, eat, kayak, sleep, repeat. I wanted it back. When winter started to fade, an energy in my body awoke, as it had every year since I started kayaking. The melting snow means spring paddling is coming, but the excitement drained as the thought that I would be stuck on shore settled in. I found solace in meditation, a practice my parents encouraged me to try. I used pain management meditations when headaches overwhelmed me. I also used creative visualization meditations. I would lay in bed and run rapids in my head. I would include every sensation, from the smell of warm pine needles on my way to the river to the splash of waves on my hands. I would surf waves and throw tricks in my kayak, all through visualization, all in first person, like watching a GoPro clip. For those fleeting moments absorbed in the imagery and sensation and free from pain, I felt like myself again, whitewater saturated without a care in the world. In May 2014, almost a year after I hit my head, my mom found a clinic near Atlanta, Georgia that seemed to have a different approach, treatment that went beyond the conventional rest and wait advice every MD had given me. This specific clinic treated top athletes like NHL hockey players, and took a whole-body approach that covered nutrition, chiropractic treatment, and the latest in neuroscience. Through the most humbling and touching experience, we crowdfunded the money to send me to this private clinic, and the treatment I received changed my life. They identified the injury as a mild traumatic brain injury. 
They used a combination of intense technology and simple eye movements to reroute my brain's functions around the injured area. They cut sugar, dairy, gluten, soy, and other inflammatory foods out of my diet. I experienced a massive decrease in symptoms after just five days of treatment. When I got home, I could go outside without sunglasses on, listen to music, start reading, and do some basic balance-focused exercises like squats and single-leg standing. I eased into work, taking on short and easy assignments, working from home as a freelance writer. Gradually, I could go for longer walks, watch the hockey game on TV, converse with a couple people, and sit in a busy coffee shop without my head spinning or my ears ringing. Slowly, I started running once a week. With each activity reintroduced to my life, I had more hope, more laughter, and a realization that I wouldn't have to stay a holed-up underground hermit forever. Accustomed to dealing with athletes, the doctors at the clinic in Atlanta supported my determination to get back in my kayak, back on my bike, and back on my snowboard. They talked to me about risk honestly. From now on, I would paddle and play in a zone of uncertainty, but that did not resign me to an armchair athlete status. We just don't know what will happen if you hit your head again, they told me. You might be okay, but even something like flipping in your kayak could cause a deceleration of your brain within your skull, which could cause another injury. This had the potential to put me back months in recovery, or worse, back where I started, in bed with my eyes closed and the lights off. Risk was a big part of my life pre-injury. Determined to get some of that old life back, I wasn't going to let a fear of risk dictate my decision. It was just going to be a different kind of risk now. One where I would have to operate with a much bigger margin for error. So, much to the disbelief and distress of my relatives and friends, I got back in my kayak. When I got back on the water, it wasn't some monumental moment or big victory. It was a slow process. I started running small sections of the river. My friends, nervous to take me paddling, took good care of me, staying close on the water, encouraging me to take the safest lines. I didn't surf or play. My new challenge was just get down the river. After overdoing it many times, I started to listen to my body and learn to take a step back before I started to feel sick, before my persistent headache escalated to a crippling one. In a sense, I was unlearning how to paddle, how to not push it, how to underdo it. But I didn't want to be just okay. I wanted to be normal, my normal. I wanted to trust my body like I used to, to drop into a wave without overthinking the consequences, to run a rapid without the overwhelming added risk turning into a million what-ifs in my head. I wanted to pick up where I left off. Before my injury, I fed off of fear. Now, it consumed me. I would never get back to my previous level of paddling, and I wasn't ready to accept that. The frustration I felt as my friends returned to summers on the river spiraled into a depression. I would tell myself, that used to be you, jealous of their health, lifestyle, and ultimately, their freedom. I mourned my old life. Napping, moving slow, and living in a fog somewhere between a migraine and a hangover left me grumpy and pessimistic. 
Even my closest friends couldn't understand why the occasional lap down the river in my kayak didn't leave me elated. My recovery has been far from linear. It's ongoing and definitely the biggest challenge of my life. After four plus years of recovery, headaches still send me to bed at 2 p.m. some days. It takes a few days for me to recover from a day of biking. And concerts and night driving aren't ever going to be my thing. I'm constantly challenged to learn how to take a step back. In a way, I guess it's more like unlearning. Even today, when I go run a river with friends, I expect that at some point my head will spin and I'll have to search frantically for shore. With a white-knuckled grip on a wet rock, I'll sit in the eddy and try to hold a fixed gaze at something static on shore while I wait for the pulsing nausea to decrease. I'll bite the inside of my cheek and fight back tears. I lean on meditation now. It's a crutch for me, even on the water. When I connect with my breath, I can block out the negative thoughts that have the potential to cascade me into a dark place. I can get grounded and wait out the swaying seasick feeling. When I'm on the water, meditation is as crucial as my helmet. When I allow myself to be fully in the moment on the water, many moments of joy catch me off guard. Like when I catch a surf on the fly and carve my boat from edge to edge on a mini wave. Just front surfing. No tricks, no flips. Feels almost as good as when I used to throw tricks on big waves. Surrounded by the deep rumble of a thousand cumex of white water, I put my boat back in the water, top the dirt off my feet, and climb in. I take some paddle strokes around the boily eddy to let my brain get accustomed to the surge of white water again. I take some deep breaths, hold onto a rock for a moment to steady myself, then peel out into the current to join my friends as they crash down the last of the massive waves of Colosseum. They vibrate with excitement from the run, the risk. I'm not supposed to take risks. But if I give up kayaking, if I stay on shore, I risk losing who I am. So I'll walk rapids. I'll wait in the pool at the bottom. I'll choose to adapt rather than give up adventure sports. And I'll smile, because I know, in a few strokes, I'll be back in whitewater, feeding that part of me that craves a taste of risk. Adventure is a part of who I am. And now, so is adaptation. Pushing my limits is easy. It's staying within my comfort zone. That is, and will continue to be, my new adventure. I'm Carmen Kuntz, and this is my short. The Diaries is made possible by the good people of Patagonia. International banks have poured millions of euros into hydropower development that is decimating the wild Balkan rivers. And this is at a time when the movement to free our rivers and remove dams is growing worldwide. Visit blueheart.patagonia.com to learn more and to sign the petition to tell banks to stop investing in the destruction of the Blue Heart of Europe, its last wild rivers. Additional support comes from Kuat Racks, the little company who believed they could build a better bike rack. Visit kuatracks.com to check out their beautiful website and their lineup of sturdy, easy-to-use roof racks, hitch racks, and accessories. Kuat, because you love your bike. 
and support comes from Boston Brewing, who is excited to announce their Earth Day plogging event in Richmond on Saturday, April 21st. What's plogging, you ask? It combines picking up trash and jogging, a uniquely Scandinavian way to get outdoors and help the environment. To learn more about all of Boston's events, follow them on Facebook. You, our community, you truly keep the diaries thriving. To pledge your support, visit our website, dirtbagdiaries.com, and click the button in the upper right-hand corner. Thank you so much to everyone who has pledged already. And thank you, Carmen, for sharing your story. In the past year, Carmen has spent more time in a kayak than in the previous four years combined. She's finding rivers within her comfort zone all over the world. She's also working to launch a website that will be a resource and provide a community for people recovering from head injuries. Music today from Cloud9, Wayne Kinos, Ken Christensen, John Barry, and the F***ed Up Beat. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive or The Artist. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artist at our website. This episode was scored and mixed by Cordelia Zars and produced by Jen Altschul and me, Becca Kahal. You've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.